Russell T here, Russell the Davis. Russell the Davis, Russell the Davis, Russell the Russell the Davis. Russell the Davis, Russell the Davis, Russell the Russell the Russell the Davis. Years and years and years, yeah. It's Rusty's brand new show, it's Icky though. Clear away those fears, yeah. It's Rusty Davis, count the minds down, bro. Years and years and years, yeah. Let's watch a brand new show, his chip not blow. Clear away those fears, yeah. Let's watch a new show, cause Doctor Who sucks. Who cares about years and years? Episode 3, 2025 to 2026. So this episode, the third episode, again, I think this just covered one year till 2026. What did we think of this third entry? Halfway point now. Oh my God, she drank it. She did the shot of her deceased dad's remains. I mean, what else is there to say, really? Heat plus meat. Salt. <laughs> uh, it's it's the same storm couldn't be here. I'm just going to say on his behalf, let us have a toast in soy non-milk. A toast in soy milk? For our scientists <laughs> who developed the saltless salt. The meat bolts, when the lady was saying even vegans could eat them because they're so far apart biologically. Vegans? Ah. <laughs> the vegan must. Ve- it was vegans, man. Ve- vegan no, no, no. Did you pronounce vegan like vegan? It's pronounced Vogon. Vogon, yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. All that activist sorry. poetry. When, when they were saying that it's so far away from animal matter that these the V people are happy eating them, <laughs> I thought this was one of the rare futuristic things that was a positive thing, apart from Rosie losing a job, but this was a futuristic technology that I don't really see any downsides for. Everyone's happy. The animals are happy, you know, from not being in slaughtering farms. People are happy because Rosie said it tastes good. The V people are happy because they can eat it as well. It was nice to have a little win for the futuristic stuff for once, I thought. It's a better way to, I mean, uh, the economic, uh, the ecological impact of raising meat is you know, kind of infamous hmm. as something nobody wants to think about. We've still got three more episodes. They can always reveal that there's some incredibly fucked up dimension to it that we don't know about yet. Isn't that literally a plot point from uh, Torchwood? Big, huge things of yeah, meat. Yeah, it was, um, meat, yeah, yeah. Was that a Chibnall one? No, that was Catherine Trigena, right? That was Trigena. It was a good episode, so yeah, it was Trigena. Yeah. Just on the subject of the vegan line, I don't know if I'm just assuming malicious intent because of my life experiences made me jaded, but um, it seemed like the vegan line was kind of meant to be a bit of a crack at vegans. Like, oh, their boundaries for what they consider acceptable to eat are so arbitrary. Like, oh, who knows if they want to eat this, you know? Sort of. That's possible, yeah. I, I hope not. But yeah, I can see what you mean. It's it's hard to tell because like this show is to such a large extent RTD soapbox. I wonder if the orange burger is also vegan compatible. It's got to be. Very interested in that. I looked it up and it's not a real thing. So that was entirely a work of imagination. What wasn't a work of imagination was how the episode started with Viv decrying uh, the war against Christmas. No, 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 no. Let's be no. Let's be clear on what she said. She said, Christmas has been ruined. And I don't think that RTD could possibly make a stronger statement about the state of Doctor Who than he just did. 
Christmas is cancelled. The more interesting part of that opening scene was definitely the IQ test and the whole element of disenfranchising people because there is something very true that RTD is kind of going after here, I think, which is just this tendency that people have, especially sort of and people like like me, maybe people like us, sort of tend to sort of go whenever a vote goes in some incredibly bad direction. It's like, oh my god, people are so stupid. We need to, you know, the sort of thing like Nilso would hear at a party after sort of you know talking to some girl, like <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we should we should stop all old people from voting. We should stop all people above a certain, yeah, just disenfranchising yeah. people. Anyone from, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that one recently, indeed. And I think RTD knows that that's not really a helpful desire. Like, there's, there's a dark side to that, and I think we're going to see that explored. So I'm looking forward to it. The uh, whole IQ uh, absolutism thing is very popular yeah. in the far right. And the, uh, it, you know, it's a real dog whistly kind of thing to say, yeah. IQ tests. And they're yeah. not even a... The yeah. People act like they're a measure for things they're not. You know, they're a specific tool people treat like a coverall measure of intelligence, and then they extend that to, like, human worth. Like, it's again, it's that latent kind of eugenicist point of view that we had Rosie and Edith talking about last time with the babies whose spines were getting fixed yeah. and that the billionaires would be doing it. It's very uncomfortable, all the eugenicist stuff, yeah. Not that I think RTD's for it, just it's stuff people struggle with because it is a complicated topic people slide into. Hey, help me out here. Uh, I'm watching All Americans, so I'm at a natural disadvantage. Uh... Did Thatcher try to impose a poll tax back in the day, or am I misremembering? I just realised I'm the only British person in the chat right now. Uh, I'm just going to Google that. <laughs> just because <laughs> I have the see um, now because. Senor, senor. Ooh, Wikipedia poll tax Great Britain, blah blah blah. Introduced in uh, some shit in Scotland. There were riots. Blah blah blah. Yes, it would be. You know what? Just don't talk to me about this sort of thing, but I'm sure you can do all that research yourself at a later date, so sorry. I was just thinking, in my mind, I have some connection that flared up. Thatcher, poll tax, Britain. Uh, I get it. They're comparing her to... Because an IQ test before you can vote is something that was very popular in the American South. Oh, seriously? Likewise with uh, poll taxes. This is... Uh, this is uh, not just eugenicist, this is straight-up classic uh, American import white supremacy. And you can also see some choice, uh, like, neoliberal blue check marks on Twitter saying things like, oh, it's a shame that the Jim Crow racists um, made IQ testing, like, not okay, because they should bring it back. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. I've yeah, never seen that, but I believe it. It's a certain um, movie critic who I have an unhealthy obsession with <laughs> following out of hatred. But yeah, so it's like... What, Armand White? Yeah, who, no, who is it? Earlier you were saying that, that, that the, uh, the meat was like the one good thing about the future. Uh, I got something that I like, actually. And you guys complained about it last week, so I feel like I have to stand up for it. If I could snap my fingers and I'm on the phone, that would be so fucking cool. That's literally something I've dreamed about since I was like six, watching Inspector Gadget doing that, you know? I mean, that's the transhumanist dream right there, is to live life exactly like Inspector Gadget. (laughs) RTD's kind of skepticism of that sort of like body augmentation dates all the way back to like the long game with the head opening mechanism. Yeah. 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 
It's it's kind of interesting. He needs to get his hands on Deus Ex. Yeah. RTD, it feels like RTD kind of just never stops being RTD. Whereas if you look at like an early Moffat script and a late Moffat script, there are some very distinct uh, denotations of like change and change in style. Yeah. Where with RTD, For the most part. Yeah, with RTD, I feel like he's sort of still the same almost. Like you can draw a line between like Bad Wolf and this, I feel. Well, I mean, that's because in a very significant way, we're, we're kind of still in the, let's call it, late Davies period. Like, this is, Worlds of, well, no, I guess this in particular is kind of closer, but, I mean, compared with his early stuff, which is extremely different. If we can go back to what Mira said starting this discussion, which was calling back to last week's episode, I have to issue a formal apology. Formal apology? Oh, she's brilliant. I said you'd like it. <laughs> If you score above 70, you can vote. Simple as that. A formal apology to Nate Bumba, who I had a, a particularly vicious spat with, in that I was insisting Edith totally didn't support Viv in any sense, and it was completely sardonic and ironic, and it was complete tosh to think that um, she would support her in any sense, like her sister was. But then this episode, after the war and Christmas things, it's got Edith happily nodding along, you know, making faces at the TV, her and Rosie watching Viv together, standing her. I mean, I know Edith didn't vote for her, but... I didn't get that sense that she was standing her. Well, she was nodding and smiling. These are things I do to you guys when I agree with you. So, there was a level of stanship in there, I think. I mean, Edith approves of how, like, you know, democracy is being ripped up and blah, blah, blah. And I think it's still that kind of accelerationist thing. Like, okay, she's crap, but she's bringing about the end of the world. So, cool. I approve. I can see that. I don't know. I still think that this is going less Stan, more um, Mark David Chapman. What what Edith was reminding me of is the um, the stereotype, regardless of the veracity of the stereotype, but the stereotype of a Bernie to Trump voter. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying with this? Like the very leftist yeah. type that gets disillusioned or just wants the again I'm not saying this is a real stereotype but it's a stereotype talked about a lot that goes for the mm-hmm. disruptor politicians no matter the um, real ideology of them yeah and that she was she's suddenly more into Viv but then again this episode has her, doing, has her doing praxis taking down a company doing shitty things you know so mm-hmm. indeed I'm finding her politics a little confused but not in an unrealistic way just in a she's not being consistent all the time like any human why? Yeah. Especially because, like, she's dying. I guess that kind of adds extra justification to her behavior. Wow! The Steves really look alike, don't they? Am I the only one who sees that? That is uncanny. Uh, their names do. I mean, to me, they look more like brothers than Danny and Steve by a mile. I liked the name thing. That felt very, uh, one of those bizarre bits of, uh, domestic oddness that happens in real life. Or another Thronesy reference to Aegon's, you know. But, uh, yeah, I really like that gag. Speaking of her grandmothers and domestic oddities, did you like the shot of Muriel flushing the toilet to symbolically yeah. <laughs> dispose of Vince's fluids? That was great. <laughs> Hilarious. That was beautiful. The whole funeral was everything I love about Davies, just from start to finish. Yeah, the um, the pharmacist with a V line as well. It's like <laughs> top, top-notch yeah. banter. You know that scene in Shaun of the Dead where the our main characters, they find like the bizarro versions of themselves and one of them, <laughs> yeah. as it happens, is played yeah. by Jessica yeah. Hines. Yeah. 
I thought we were going to get that for the Lions family and the funeral. Like, the, uh, the guy's second family is just exactly the same as them. <laughs> like, Bizarro Lions. That would have been good. That they could have been, been called, like, the Tigers with a Y or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I like that. RTD isn't going that far into absurdism, which maybe, sadly, but, yeah. Speaking of um, the funeral and that whole bit, um... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I feel the need to crow slightly because last week I predicted that we might see um, someone involved in the family die a meaningless death, with the meaninglessness <laughs> being the point. And this week we've seen, um, well, we hear the whole story about how Vince, their dad, got hit by a bike and got a scratch on his hand and died due to, you know, the lack of antibiotics, which... Uh, I it's don't like, think that's meaningless. No, that's... It's, it's not meaningless in the sense it's kind of a, it's uh, showing the situation of the future. Yeah, but at the same time, it wasn't like a tragic, like, death from his floor of his character or anything like that. Yeah, it was just a pure accident. Bravo, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys think about this sort of bike thing and the fact that we see this one connection between Stephen having to ride a bike and do deliveries and stuff, with it being a person on a bike who ends up, you know, killing Dad, and that maybe fueling Stephen's meltdown at the bike ride at the end of the episode. There's just this whole thing... I thought there was kind of yeah, in there. The, the turn of the wheel obviously represents the years and years moving everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, but unironically. <laughs> it might be like a visual expression of like these characters are part of a system which is sort of killing them off. Not the problem. Almost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like he might be like writing on a more metaphorical level than he usually does here, which I... I'm liking. The ending was interesting with the bike crushing. Very emotionally motivated moments. And I was really interested that it was the ending. Like, that was the punch of the episode. Was that moment. Yeah. What, did you, what did you think was going on in Stephen's mind as he did that? For just a second, I thought that he was going to run the guy over and kill him. The same. And I was like, what the yeah. fuck? direction is this and everybody and especially given everybody in the family was sort of just letting it happen it was alliance really has claws oh god are you gonna keep doing that <laughs> do you think do you think they're called the lions because they're in a pride and pride cometh before the fall is that one possible oh explanation it's very, it's very good <laughs> i've got about the lion king <laughs> see it in theaters and imax <laughs> yes um, no, the ending, I thought it was really interesting, the use of the apocalypse music, like, over the end of it. Because that's the first time we've seen it juxtaposed over just something interior to the family. So I think it's trying to, like, represent just the, you know, people being nice to each other, just going out the window, you know, now that Viv Rook is in power. And this kind of Christian idea of forgiveness that RTD seems so fascinated by, paradoxically, has kind of gone out the window now. Yeah. So that cyclist would have gotten fired, surely. We saw how Kablam-esque Beckendale was with its mm. employees. Are they even employees? Whatever they call them. No holiday, no sick pay, no argument. You'll pay Beckendale £1.50 a day insurance. So that was pretty cruel and not class conscious of Stephen to do. But you, you certainly understood emotionally the venting of it. I do wonder if the fact that we see just all of them in that car kind of complicit in it and Rosie putting that amazingly dark expression of kind of grim satisfaction as it happens and all of them just kind of sharing in this moment, I wonder if that's uh, a sign of what things might be like going forwards. Like as things get more apocalyptic, will we see the family coming together and maybe you know, 
as morals kind of break down even more and maybe as things get more kind of dog eat dog in society could that be a sign of where things are going forward i feel like putting it at the end of the episode and playing that apocalypse music is like is really making it a big point about how this is where things are going yeah maybe yeah. by the end of the series they're just like the blutes sort of just yeah. you know wreaking, <laughs> wreaking out their damage to the world wherever they can with no regard for you know other people I mean, I speculate yeah. it might be, you know, Mad Max-esque and they'll be like the tyrants in the kind of wasteland of the future. They'll just be like the Lion's Clan. They're going to turn on each other by then. If we're saying Lion's Clan and so we're circling back to Pride, what did you think when Stephen gave Bethany the $10,000, no matter how much in worse financial straits he was? What did you think of that? Born purely out of male parent pride? Was it a good yeah. thing? Very, uh, love in there too. Yeah, but it's oh, still, sure, yeah. it's one of those, uh, it's very sort of upper middle class thing. It's not just a point of, it is It is a point of pride, you're right, it's, um, it's no daughter of mine should have to go without, you know, the parental nest egg sort of thing. And spend it on. Yeah, should we talk about that, that whole bit? Are we ready? Are we ready? Aye aye. Wow, so they are really going there, huh? Again, an excellent conversation for four sissish guys to be having about... I mean, they even said it right in the episode. I think, as far as I want, all that I want to say, as far as I'm willing to sort of go, you know, with sort of my perspective, whatever, just, I feel RTD is clearly trying to make some sort of analogy with dysphoria, with this conversation between Bethany and Lucy about, oh, and my lungs feel like bellows or whatever and stuff. And I don't, I'm not inclined to say it's very responsible of him. I, I'm, I'm very yeah. skeevy about that. This is, why yeah. this is why I've always hated science fiction. <laughs> one level it's very handy as a way to write topics down and um, explore them with people who are less likely to want to explore them just in their original context but this isn't that kind of thing this isn't like explaining racism to kids via the X-Men or something this is you know a sci-fi you know family drama on BBC Running at prime time, I assume. Yeah, as at nine PM UK time. Yeah, this is this isn't you know. In other words, this isn't TV for kids where you're trying to explain something to kids, and it's not even really TV for the sort of people who don't want to who who hear the word transition and immediately just shut down. Because you can probably get to those people via comparing uh, transgender issues to transhumanism. Uh, in a in whichever aspect you want, but I don't think that this is a reasonable or responsible way to do that. I think that this is uh, weird. This is very Black Mirror's esque in like the derogatory sense. Because like Bethany and Lizzie literally say they want to like disintegrate into being radio waves. Like that's literal self destruction. Like, uh. but then then we have Lincoln who was flagged in episode one as having a potentially gender-neutral name, quite keen on those ribbons. What did we think of that? Susie. Hmm. Yeah, instantly came up with that name. I feel like they're, they're, they're seeding Lincoln as being, you know, possibly trans quite clearly. So, I mean, that, that, certainly, that certainly impacts the sort of the playing field in terms of trans representation. I wouldn't say it's like, oh, you get a pass now, you're fine. 
But yeah, you know, it's something. It was better than like, if there had been no trans characters in the show. I've just been like, what the fuck, RCD? Seriously, like you, you know, I mean, uh, um, banana and cucumber. Um, there was that one episode of banana which wasn't by RTD, but that revolved around a trans woman. She was sort of one of the side characters in the cucumber universe. But like, and that, but that's sort of it in terms of the stakes of kind of the. Yeah, the, the sort of the playing field of trans representation in RTD's sort of recent career. What did you guys think about the eye thing that Lizzie and um, that replacement eye camera, that whole bit where we see it revealed how she's had her eye replaced with a camera that doesn't link to her brain? I'd kind of like one of those a few generations down the line once they get the kinks worked out. I think it'll take RTD a long time to do that. I find it odd that this episode and episode two just covered one year, whereas the first episode jauntily skipped through five years i forget what the end date russell said the show will end in but surely we're gonna have to accelerate uh soon i think we'll see most of the acceleration in sort of the final two episodes probably i just feel like you know we couldn't you know we're in in the middle of daniel and victor's whole storyline like if you know we can't accelerate like five years because we miss it we can't have a five-year gap yeah yeah so I think if, if there's a big skip, it'll probably be like nearer the end. Well, we sort of I meant, we sort of brought up uh, Victor and Daniels. So what did you guys think of the developments in that storyline this week? Well, I have uh, something that Neil would be rather upset to hear me reference, so I'll do it when he's out of earshot. I am such a child on the inside that when I heard that Victor is with his cousin Roman, immediately that stupid voice from Grand Theft Auto 4 came out right in my head. I can't get rid of it. It's been there for years. It's probably going to be there until I die. Nico, my cousin. Anyways, let's talk about actual things, not just about stupid crap. Neo, you can come back now. The gamers shut up, so we're good. I was was just off for a quick game of bowling. I thought that scene where Daniel opened up the Skype and we saw that empty room and the policeman coming in, that was so creepy. I loved that. that. It was brilliant. If we're speaking of uh, Daniel and Victor, I had another big swing around on my opinion on characters this episode when Rosie went, oh my God, that's amazing, to when Daniel was saying how fucked Victor was at the moment and just hung up the line on him. What the hell? That was so rude. Yeah, she seems less... No time for anymore now. Like, of a other birds of a feather than the other siblings do you know what i mean like her personality sticks out in episode one i remember saying i like celeste the least because she seemed quite cold and rosie the most because she had a lovely personality but i've totally flipped that now i feel so sorry for celeste and i really empathize with her yeah a lot of us start off liking rose and then eventually come to hate her i will say rcd has achieved the impressive feat which is always impressive of you know making me sympathize with the tory more than one in fact so there you go You've got Celeste and you've got Daniel. What do you guys think of the whole voting ballot scene? Imagine HBO viewers watching that. I'll just be like, what the fuck's the difference? So it was Celeste Tory, which I wasn't surprised by. Stephen Labour, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Probably a bit of a change for him. Grand four-star party, which I guess sort of surprised by. I hadn't really pegged her for anyone. Rosie, four-star, of course. Edith, no vote, of course. Uh, Daniel Tories. Yeah, and right Very after he comes out and the family like calls him a lefty, like right after he's voted Tory. I found that he's essentially voting against his self-interest with you know being in that immigrant relationship. I found that very true to life because you know people do that all the time. I've probably done that, arguably. People are always voting against their self-interests or they're locked into their 
you know, party lines and that. So I thought that all the votes didn't line up with how we thought. I thought that was good writing. I really liked being surprised by some of those. But I know some people are annoyed because they can't do their little D&D grid. <laughs> this person's neutral good, so they vote for the party I think's neutral good. Um, I could, yeah, I could have done with more internal, like, what Muriel is thinking because I feel like it's a bit of a question mark why she voted for the four-star and... Is it just because she's old and like RTD thinks that old people are easily swayed by populism or? Well, Viv's always a, you know, saying back in the good old days, people blah 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 blah. We we had the singles at Woolworths, so I can kind of see it. But she seemed very kind and like with Victor, how she was saying you're beautiful in the eyes of Christ. So I thought maybe she'd vote for the reducted party, which is morally good. But yeah, I don't know. I thought there was something vaguely. I don't know if sinister is the right word. Um, patronizing about that scene, you're beautiful and Jesus loves you, and so do I. Scene. Something just about it is giving me the heebie-jeebies. I can sort of, I see, I, I kind of see what you mean there. The idea of sort of, you know, if someone's from a religion that's like, you know, institutionally homophobic in so many ways, and they're just like, well, you know, it's okay, actually, you know, because I'm telling you that Jesus loves you. Like, you're not necessarily going to appreciate that. Like, oh, thanks. You know, I, you know, lovely sentiment, but it, how helpful is that really? Like, I get that. But I do think it was maybe more intended as more of a heartwarming scene. Like, I don't think it's quite as be. vicious be, yeah. from a British perspective. It could be, yeah. I have to say, Daniel voting Tory, like, I, I think just that lays it in on what I think is kind of almost an archetype of this, you know, this kind of white gay guy, this kind of, this sort of, sort of this kind of bougie gay, kind of this kind of privileged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, there's this whole kind of, it's a bit of a cliche, but like, yeah, and I think, and I, that kind of feeds into what I was, we were talking about last week, the idea that, you know, Daniel, he's not just this self-insert, you know, for RTD, really, you know, he's just, he's being critiqued just like all the other characters, and that's, that's a good thing. Speaking of politics, uh, can any lines be drawn between the oncoming Boris and Viv? Hmm, it's <laughs> a good question, it's a good question. I, you know, you never know, the, the Flaminia could go to Michael Gove or someone <laughs> instead. Oh my god, don't even talk to me about this Tory leadership shit, it's just, it's pure madness. But yeah, yeah, certainly, you know, Boris, he's got the pale hair, he's, you know, your sort of TV maverick, the kind of exaggerated bumbling to sort of cover up his kind of racism and all that. It's like, you know, and it's, it's just, there's so many politicians at this point, you just fit that mould, you know, you've got, I'd say the, the, the closer parallel is maybe Farage with his Brexit party. Yeah, but it's just this Farage story resurrection. <laughs> yeah, they're all just blurring together at this point. I don't know. There was that whole uh, that really awkward dancing scene made me think of that clip of Theresa May. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> they're just they're rolling in all these different aspects. But I loved that whole um, Viv on TV the bit, channel, her own, yeah. yeah, her Trump TV channel that she's got now, and the fact that the fact that just this kind of satire of kind of the absurd world of TV and this politician who's just like this ridiculous TV presenter entity, it felt uh, you know satellite not to bring up five. the trite DWEs again. Yeah, Satellite Five. It was very bad. Yeah, and it was right back in that oh, vein. I loved it. It also had my favorite shot of the episode, which you got to thwack this one onto the Kino grid. It was the um. The Last Supper. Those background actors looking looking like extras in like a 60s musical or something. It was so uncanny and great. Just that constant inundating of data from her and all the useless like variety show stuff she was doing. I found that really, really well drawn. Very believable. At this point in Giga and Mirrors, 
the English and American voices on this podcast, temporarily leave the recording as a balancing of the scales for Tom Tit, my fellow Australian, having to leave during a later segment. As we know all too well from Doctor Who Series 10, the new Who Series 10, Moffat's last series, that Murray Gold soundtrack releases sometimes are an unfortunate rarity. Enterprising musicians and audio creators Pat Delia and David McCormack tried their hand at an adaptive rearrangement of the montage music from years and years, going for capturing the mood of that music, the speedy, epic propulsion of it, over stringently trying to just recreate it. So even if Years and Years becomes another Murray Gold show without a soundtrack, at least there'll be this interpretive sort of capturing of its music. As for the actual episode, we've said before how much the stabby acoustic guitars are so latter-era gold on Doctor Who. I really like that he's kept that up. Yeah, definitely. And the choral stuff, that's... I don't know if you've seen Cucumber, but he uses voices heaps in that. So, evidently, he's come to like that. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that yet, but um, I heard Gig reference it one of the other episodes. Did you think, in the music where Victor and Daniel met up, that it sounded like this time there's three of us with like the strumming pattern of the guitar. Oh yeah, I mean, I sort of like it all, all of that aesthetic that Marigold uses sort of blurs together to me, which isn't like a dig at his music, it's just a general thing. But um, the bit of music that I really loved in this was when Stephen gets the call about his dad dying. On the bike, yeah. disembodied voices in the background and they're very faint and like uh, nebulous but then when he's on the bike it's like they're just screaming at you I couldn't think of any other Murray Gold thing to compare that to I couldn't think of the Doctor Who equivalent to that track so I was very struck by it yeah and the approach was no, yeah. more slow and the choral voices sounded different than they did in like the montage music. It was really interesting. I think it's like, it's almost like the disembodied voice in the music is supposed to represent like the, both the looming presence of transhumanism, just like, you know, cause they're just disembodied. They don't have any, you know, physical oh, yeah. presence. I, I like that. Yeah. And like the, the ghosts of the past, which sort of haunt the whole thing, like the, the parents looking down on them and the looming specter of fascism you know, coming back. The but, unquiet dead and the 
end of the world? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. The the old RTD um, series starter pack, but um, yeah, you know, I, I'm sure there are people out there complaining that it's like oh, telling you what to feel and all that shit, but um, no, I think it's sublime. The mu- I don't know what you thought. The music I liked the best in the episode by far was when Bethany was on the boat. <laughs> It was like these quick upstrokes, downstrokes on the guitar and the drums were going wild. It was really drum focused, very energetic. Yeah, I'm, I could, really like that. I've had I've had problems with Murray Gold's use of drums in the past because like there's a bit in the pilot at the end where it just sounds like, like a Oh, the cymbals. Yeah, yeah, thrashing. What the hell? That's like, maybe it's just my taste, but um, here it's like, feels very natural and like almost like a kraut rock type like shuffling anxious rhythm uh which feels very appropriate what about those antibiotics not working anymore i mean you say it's the future but it's practically almost already true isn't it <laughs> like it's just one of those things it's like yep well, well we're fucked but we didn't really know how to process it so Is that there you go. one of those things that could have been avoided with iq tests <sighs> we're on the topic of drugs kind of orbiting that and um two things um, we found out that Ruby takes clobazepam for epilepsy in this episode, which I thought was interesting. But the more important thing, uh, maybe potentially more important, is that Stephen mentions that one of the five jobs he's working is basically being a guinea pig for drug tests. And I feel like if you put something like that in, it's got to pay off later, surely. Could we be, could we already be maybe seeing how Stephen might be being affected by the stuff that's you know being done to him. Could it maybe, this is just speculation, could it maybe have played a role in his deciding to crush that bike with his car? Yes? I no? don't think so. Maybe? No. no. No? Okay. Fine. No. We'll shelve that. I mean, s- systematically, yes, because he's, uh, you know, this kind of guy, he's thinking of himself as selling his body in future just to, you know, make ends meet, so that's probably part of what's going on in his mind. But I'm not thinking that they accidentally injected I think the bike running over is sort of the years and years equivalent of, like, Walter White blowing up that car in season one of Breaking Bad. Yeah. Another brother. Yeah, I thought of that, yeah. What do you think of Toy Story Resurrection? I wonder what number Toy Story Resurrection actually is. Like, what if it's 2026? Would they be on, like, five, six, like, seven? I think. With um, with the Toy Story movies, they go pretty slow, so probably four or five. Literally around four. Five four, four is coming out. Five is, yeah, five. I wonder if it's, like, RTD being woke about the, the juggernaut of Disney or whether it's just coincidental that both the references have been to Disney properties. It feels like. He's making some statement that the Toy Story movies are getting more and more horrifying as a direct refle- reflection of reality, which is... I wonder if it's directed by Zack Snyder. 
which is a bit of interesting, uh, uh, like, media criticism from Davies, I guess. Well, Davies commenting on media, specifically Disney, makes me think, it came out this week, I think Tom Spilsbury was tweeting about it, that you remember when David Yates, a couple of years ago, well, more than a couple now, said he was going to do a Doctor Who movie that would be a complete reboot, and Moffat, mm-hmm. you know, had a fit, and on Twitter he, he, made on that, it, he made that epic tweet about the moon, really just bashing Yates about it. Well, it came out this week, I don't know if you guys saw this, that what was actually going to happen is that was going to happen, but Russell T Davies was going to be, you know, a huge force behind it, like the executive producer, because he was in America at the time for Miracle Day, as was Julie Gardner. But then, of course, RTD's late partner got sick, and so he returned. And so then the movie wasn't probably going to happen anyway. Then Yates made his dumb comment, and then Moff completely squashed it. And so when we heard about the movie, the fans, it was basically had no chance of happening. And then we all, you know, helped ensure it would definitely never happen. But it was interesting to finally get the truth on that, and that RTD was so tenter-hooked into it, which we hadn't known before. Interesting. It's kind of him. Like, this the idea of, like, a ooh, the Do- Doctor Who the movie. It's that kind of show business. I can kind of... I associate it with RTD in my head. I can see him being involved. If anyone could do it, I think he probably could have done it. Yeah. Speaking of RTD having his fingers in things... Oh, no. What do you think of these little fingerprint pads we're seeing all through the episode? <laughs> I wasn't going in that direction. I thought you were- <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how easily accessible they seem to be. Like, Celeste just orders one in the post, it seems. Yeah, that was... I guess it's one of those... You know, like you can go online and buy stupid spy bullshit these days. That's pretty much what it is. It's an interesting uh, sort of hypothesis. I feel like this is leading us to um, Stephen cheating on Celeste with that lady, which you haven't talked about at all. We've now got two confirmed cheaters in the family. So, yeah, what's yeah, up? Was very cyclical, start acting like the father, even though they wanted to be different sort of things. Stephen and Danny. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Both. Yeah, I was thinking of Stephen and Danny, so I guess it's three, isn't it? If you can include Dad and Danny. God, <laughs> what's going on? I feel like I'm losing my head here over how hereditary it seems. <laughs> Very funny. On the vein of the family and sort of things being hereditary, I loved that scene where they were all, after the funeral, they were reminiscing and thinking about how would their mum see them if you know if she was looking down on them from you know, beyond the grave. That was so interesting. Because just the way it just really brought home the way in which they've all they've all kind of fucked up their lives in different ways, especially Stephen, of course, because he seemed the most affected there. And it was and it was just a lovely, very well written scene as well. The depiction of like the sibling relationship in this is absolutely next level, I think. Which I don't know if Russell has siblings, but it's sort of up there with. And I'm going to be like a broken record here. It's up there with like Jimmy and Chuck from Better Call Saul in terms of realism and um, just oh, the like yes, miniature yes, squabbles absolutely. that they yeah. have, which never spill over into melodrama it's always like contained because they respect each other and but they also know each other so you know intimately and yeah yeah you're not a real steven (laughs) this this is okay moving to steven i want to check is a congestion charge an actual thing or is that implying that he got some mark against his employment record because he was once in congestion oh no it's it's a toll it's it's a real thing i don't know if you guys have them over there and when I say you guys over there, I mean everybody that's not American and everywhere that's not American. But here we have it. It's a, it's, it's just a toll that you they charge your car when you go through a. I was I was interpreting it as like this dystopic. He got caught in traffic once, and so he got docked like his pay. 
For, for a second, I was thinking that too, yeah. <laughs> it might be the things that are getting more congested due to the whole, you know, town time shit and everyone's like, stuff happening of the recession. More congested because there aren't any antibiotics, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of just the humiliation of the Beckendale biking job for Stephen? I love it. It's like a, like a dystopian, uncomfortable thing. It's fantastic sci-fi. I love it. I mean, it's not sci-fi, but you know, it's yeah, good yeah. fiction, is what I'm trying to say. I like it. I feel like Pete Matai might have been consulted for this. <laughs> I, I don't know. We haven't had a character insisting that Beckinsale isn't the problem. It's how bikers they run over people and exploit their vehicles. That's the problem. And we sort of get the recurrence of like RTD's theme in this episode of potentially like smart folk versus dumb folk. Like the, the boss doesn't know the difference between astronomy and astrology. And yet he's the boss man. Neil over there went to Oxford, studied astrology. Doesn't help him cycle any faster, does it? Speaking of astrology, this is something that's irritating me a little bit with some people's criticism or even just reading of the show is when people are treating it like a Black Mirror or like Nostradamus type prediction of the future show to be rated on how effectively it predicts the future. Whereas, and it's RTD's fault if this isn't coming across, but he's always framed this as it's like a family saga, you know, like Downtown Abbey kind of thing. But the gimmick is that it's going into the future instead of covering a family from like the 40s to the 60s or whatever, like that genre normally does. It's about a family. It's a family saga, the Lions of Manchester. It's a family saga. And it's about how they survive the world. Those family sagas often travel through time, like through World War II or through the 20s. This one goes into the future. You've seen great big family sagas through World War II or Upstairs Downstairs or Poldark, but this family saga goes into the future. I feel like there's a difference between a show that's trying to predict the future and using the future as a playground to go, oh, what if this happened? What if this happened? And what RTD's doing, which I feel like he's saying, is more putting a gimmick into a genre, but doing that genre. Yeah, but at the same time, he's also reveling in it. It's not really something that he's accidentally doing. It's not like he's accidentally trying to get close as he can, as he feels reasonable. He's picking things that he thinks are likely or inevitable. Yeah, I think fair, that yeah. yeah, I think that it's to him it is part and parcel of what he's doing. It's not so much an unintended uh, consequence or side effect. So I think reading it that way, as like as a you know the RTD century, to, if you want to play with the Nostradamus dimension, I think that mm, it's it's a fair reading of the show. Even if it's not engaging with it on all of the levels that it's quite meant to, it's still in the text. It's intentional. It's just not perhaps the precise uh, aim. Speaking of in the text, it was quite sad to see Celeste opening that phone of Stevens and seeing all those cheating texts there, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how, you know, where that goes now that she knows it's happening. Like, there's going to be some real fireworks, and not like the cosmic ones from New Year. I'm thinking, you know, do you remember, um, Muriel says in this episode, remember after the Hong Shan nuke went off, we all thought it was the end of the world, but then nothing happened? I feel like that complacency that everyone has fallen into is going to come back to bite them in the ass. I think what Daniel yep. said back then about how, you know, the bomb's falling, you don't know, you don't see it coming. That's something's going to happen. Yeah, it's very much. Completely out of nowhere. I'm looking forward to that. Also, Syria's concentration camps. Who's running those? <laughs> very much a dystopia built on apathy, which Davies is trying to paint here, I think. When they when they use Hong Xiao as a, like a descriptor for something going wrong, was that meant to be interpreted as just 
the lions do it or it's like fallen into common usage because i was a bit confused on that common usage i think it's common usage yeah it's common, common usage. usage but um yeah then they go on to say that no one talks about it anymore but and yet it's also a widely used phrase i guess it's kind of it's slipped into common parlance but they don't really think about why they're Shit saying writing it. <laughs> to this day people still reference like volcanoes going off in terms of how many hiroshimas are being set off at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good point, yeah. That's exactly how I was hearing it. I'm sh- I feel like I've heard people say he's going to go all Chernobyl in the past, but I don't know if people <laughs> well, start say saying it more now. Hopefully. that bloody show. Yeah. I guess that happening wouldn't be great, but nor would it be terrible. Um, we mentioned Black Mirror a few times. I mean, RTD was on record saying that Black Mirror is one of, uh, the, one of the best shows in the world, and I feel that whole bit with the eye camera and like the crude body horror of just just like, scraping out her eye and putting in something that like, doesn't you know work. That felt very Black Mirror to me, just in that sense of like you know that occasionally has episodes where just someone gets you know, hacked to death or some shit, and like what if you put a computer in your head or something? It was it was very in that vein, and I think RTD does revel a bit in the sort of the the horror of, ooh, this could really happen, guys. I think that is like an inextricable part of the show, even if it's not the main thrust of the show. Yeah, a crude body horror happens across so many shows. The whole thing with the rapid onset human dysphoria, it feels like, and especially the, the connection, like, the first thing that she has done is she has a phone put in her hand. And I immediately thought of uh, the Age of Steel, the Rise of the Cybermen, and how lame that story's conception of the Cybermen was, as body horror brought about by phone upgrades. And it's exactly the same plot, but, I mean, it's better. Human here. point two. Yeah, it is. It's, it's human point two again. It's better written here, though, because they're actually focused Slightly on better written. Better written, but is it also very cliched? <laughs> At this point, Tomtit, that other Australian voice in your left ear, temporarily leaves the recording as he has refrained from watching the next time trailers at the end of episodes, and us other three wanted to discuss that teaser for episode 4 without spoiling him on just what it contained. Spoiling Viv as Prime Minister really annoyed me because it's pretty inevitable that it was going to happen, but it wasn't 100% inevitable. And also, I just, I didn't want to know that would happen in episode four. I wanted that, that... It's a spoiler to me to know when something happens as much as that something happens. I mean, again, I, I, I mentioned this at the start. I, I assumed going into the show that that was the premise was... I didn't even know hardly anything about the family stuff. I thought it was just about Emma Thompson being a scary <laughs> prime minister. So for me, the whole sh- show has been sort of like the ground-eye view of, you know, House of Cards sort of thing. I think RTD being so upfront with that in the next time trailer, I feel, you know, because obviously I, anyone watching the show could probably guess that, yeah, it's going to happen. Viv will become the PM or the dictator or whatever. And I feel being upfront that, okay, that thing you knew was going to happen, it's happening next week. Okay, so get your ass back here on the sofa next week. Okay, it's time. I feel... On one hand, I think that is a sign that her becoming PM is not going to be the big surprise or the big sort of twist of the episode. So, yeah. so, so much of something that's just, you know, it's it's happening, it's there. Okay, this is 
something to look it's forward the to. Selling point. It's the marketing point. And I also feel that RTD, he's kind of maybe he's being a bit adult with us. Like you know, you know what you know what's going to happen, and you know what you, you know what you want to see. You know, just come and see it. I think almost the biggest spoiler in that shot of him being elected PM is actually something I noticed in the ticker at the bottom of the screen, which is the detail about her election. Which I won't go into it in case you guys haven't read it. But like, I feel like there's going to be some mega bullshit and some weirdness going on. It's going to be. Crazy. I think I did notice that. Stuff. Some, I noticed just, um, demands recounts was a word yes, that there I was, caught. It was, a de- it was a detail about the um, the majority that she wins, and it's it's very interesting. Let me just say that we can talk about I'm it when back. it actually Shut happens up. next week. But yeah, I'm okay. looking forward to that. I'm spoiler free, guys. Again, trite Doctor Who equivalencies. It feels like this is Dalek series one. You know that eventually they're going to come back, so. We're not going to try and jerk you around. That's going to be what the whole episode's about. You know what a Dalek shell is a thousand times as hard as? Time to go to the toilet. Oh, right then. Off we go. I probably should have brought this up earlier. How long into that scene with uh, Stephen and the other woman did it take you to realize that they had just gotten done fucking? Like two seconds. It was very obvious, like immediately. Yeah. The visual language of like affairs on oh. television is pretty clear at this point. It is, it is, but the initial, like, there's no, uh, you know, um... What were you after? <laughs> establishing shot, you're sort of led into it. Like, we start off with them already having a conversation. You you wanted an establishing shot of them it, fucking... You, <laughs> you wanted the bad HBO, but you got the good BBC. <laughs> Thank you. Free the one. Oh, yeah, what is that? Who the fuck is the one? What does free the one mean? Yeah, on Edith's placards that she was making. The one? Yeah, the one. I know a character known by the one. Wake up, Neo.